Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. Let's say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's just say that. Which I admit is kind of an interesting way to begin a Sunday morning message to a people who have intentionally come for the singular purpose of worshiping Jesus as Christ. So it really shouldn't be a stretch to imagine being a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? But let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, only you're not a follower of Jesus Christ in 21st century America. So let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, only you're not a follower of Jesus Christ in a country in which almost two-thirds of the people identify themselves as Christians. Let's say you're not a follower of Jesus Christ in a country in which one-third of the people go to church every week, in a country in which another third of the people attend every now and then. Now, I know that may be hard to believe, but according to the Pew Research Center, which is a very reputable polling firm, They did a state-by-state analysis. 34% of the people in the state of Illinois attend church every week. 33% of the people in the state of Illinois attend church several times a year. And only 32% of the people living in the state of Illinois never attend church ever. Which means that on your way to church this morning, one-third to two-thirds of the folk in the cars driving down the road next to you we're on their way to church along with you. Now, if you wanted to live in a state where there was a greater percentage of self-professing Christians, why, well, you could move to Texas. 42% of Texans attend church every Sunday. 33% attend periodically, and only 25% never go to church. Now, when our son and daughter-in-law moved to uh, Texas, uh, this was quite surprising to them because the third question they were asked by just about everybody was, after where do you live and after where do you work, was where do you go to church? And that was quite the culture shock to them coming from Chicago where they were never asked that question in the city. So let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Only you're not a follower of Jesus Christ in a Western culture that has been historically and significantly influenced by the Christian faith. Now, I think some of us might say not enough, not enough for sure, and we all might say certainly less influenced by by Christian values today than they were in years past, and we might even differ on which Christian values should be taking priority. But regardless, we should know that much of what we assume as normal and right and good is a consequence of the influence of Christianity on our culture, on our way of life. Indeed, Christianity has been so influential, sometimes those who make no formal profession of of faith embrace what are at heart Christian values. So let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, only you're not a follower of Jesus Christ in a more or less Christianized culture. Let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire, in the first century, which had no Christian influence on it at all, but which was a pretty sophisticated society. 
Let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire in the first century and lived among a people who believed that their culture and their society was superior to all other cultures and who believed that the Roman Empire was the pinnacle of human civilization. And that without having any Christian influence at all. And who could make a good case for it being the best civilization on the planet, planet. but who did not have the law or the prophets as we do, but who had instead philosophers, who did not have Isaiah or Jeremiah, but who had instead Plato and Aristotle, and who did not have revealed truth from God above, but who had reasoned truth from below, who followed philosophers like Cicero and Marcus Aurelius, so let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire in the first century, an empire that met the needs of most of their citizens, but which had no Christian influence at all. I mean, the Roman Empire, for example, the Roman Empire provided representative government for the people. They had a Senate of elected representatives and a justice system that allowed a Roman citizen the right to appeal criminal charges. Now granted, they had despotic rulers, they had Caesars who considered themselves divine and who demanded to be acknowledged as gods, but not everyone who lived in the Roman Empire believed that. They just knew that if you were willing to pay lip service to that conceit, you would be pretty much left alone. I mean, you didn't have to believe it, you just couldn't speak otherwise. But even with that amount of accumulated power in the head of the state, in the Roman Empire, it was still the Senate that passed laws and it was the Senate that controlled the budget. It was as representative a government that could possibly exist in those days. And those rulers, the Caesars and the Senate and those provincial governors, they knew they had to keep the people content which meant that Rome had amazing public works projects. The Roman Empire had paved roads, some of which are still in existence and so well built you can still walk on them today, 2,000 years later. The wealthy in Rome had indoor plumbing. The Romans had built aqueducts bringing water to the cities and designed them such that there would be warm and cold water. The deep trough, would provide the cold water, and the shallow trough, being heated by the sun, would provide warmer water. The sophisticated civilization that the Roman Empire had created had schools for education, and gymnasiums for public health, and agoras, or shopping centers, and beautiful temples to the Roman gods. And the Roman Empire was committed to the arts and entertainment, it celebrated human athletic achievement. That sophisticated civilization that the Roman Empire created had amphitheaters and coliseums for the edification and for the entertainment of people. Again, these amphitheaters and coliseums, many of them so well built that there's still concerts and sporting events in some of them 2,000 years later. So much was the Roman Empire the pinnacle of human civilization that our own country, 1,700 years later, modeled its government buildings after Roman architecture. 
You do know that we have a couple of temples in Washington, D.C., dedicated to a couple of our rulers, Jefferson and Lincoln, absolutely intentionally modeled after the temples in Rome. And the Capitol building's rotunda was modeled on the Roman pantheon, which was a domed temple dedicated to all the Roman gods, built in Jesus' day. Rome was pretty impressive. So let's say you're a follower of Jesus, only you're not a follower of Jesus in a nation whose values were significantly derived from the Christian culture, Christian faith. Let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire in the first century, which had no Christian influence at all. And whose dominant cultural value was tolerance. Tolerance provided you gave proper allegiance to Caesar. And tolerance, of course, for the sake of keeping peace. The Romans, as a matter of public policy and generally speaking, accommodated all manner of beliefs, and they even accommodated the native beliefs of local peoples like the Jews in far away Judea, provided they kept their beliefs to themselves and did not challenge Roman authority. Believe what you want, just don't mess with Rome. Because there were in the Roman Empire those who believed in the Roman gods, of course, and who worshipped them in those magnificent temples. But we should know that the Roman Empire had as a part of respected Roman culture Stoics, who didn't believe in a plurality of gods at all, or even in a transcendent personal god, but who believed that God inhabited everyone and everything. And that the universe had purpose. The Stoics who believed that everything happened for a reason, and who thought the good life was aligning themselves with what was. So there were Stoics among the Roman populace. And the Roman Empire accommodated the Epicureans, the atheists, who lived for enlightened, moderated pleasure, supporters of the arts and fine cuisine. The good life for the Epicureans was minimal pain and moderate, enlightened pleasure, like the reading of a good book or the or the tasting of a fine wine. And of course, the Roman Empire tolerated the crass hedonists who lived for momentary sensual pleasures since tomorrow was never guaranteed and who lived pretty much indifferent to the impact of their pleasure seeking on the rest of the populace. And then they, of course, accommodated the cynics who disdained all culture. So the Romans had this multicultural and pretty sophisticated working civilization in which toleration of others' beliefs for the sake of peace was the virtue within limits. Toleration of others' beliefs as long as you recognized the authority of the state, the divinity of Caesar, and did not threaten the state or Caesar's prerogatives. So let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ you're not a follower of Jesus in a nation significantly influenced by Christian values, but rather a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire in the first century, which had no Christian influence at all. And this is what you believe. This is what you believe. You don't believe in the Roman gods. You're not a Stoic. You're not an atheist Epicurean. 
You're not a hedonist. You're not a cynic. And you don't believe your first allegiance is to Caesar or the state. No, you're none of those. No, this is what you believe. That a Jewish rabbi who was born in a tiny little shepherding community south of Jerusalem called Bethlehem, on the perimeter of the empire, by the way, who was raised in and lived, frankly, a pretty unremarkable life in a dirty quarry town called Nazareth, and who began at the age of 30 preaching and teaching among this minority people that he was God, which resulted in him, inevitably resulted in him being crucified by the Romans at the insistence of the Jewish authorities for the sake of keeping peace, a political execution because better than one person die than for a whole nation. This is what you believe in the Roman Empire that this Jewish rabbi, the one that was crucified, who clearly died and was entombed, is raised from the dead, according to his disciples who saw that, who saw him. But not only that, but ascended into heaven, according to disciples who saw that. And who were claiming then that this resurrected Nazarene was now seated at the right hand of the only God who is. This is what you believe in the Roman Empire in the first century. And that this man named Jesus was raised from the dead God, was a raised from the dead God, the God who created all things, and therefore for that reason was the only way, the absolute truth, and the giver of life. This person was the way, the truth, and the life. Let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire in the first century, which had no Christian influence at all, and this is what else you believe that all who confess him as God received his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, and became then a part of an alternative kingdom which refuses to recognize any other God. That this Jesus who was crucified and raised to life and ascended into heaven and was sitting at the right hand of God had established a different way of living, an alternative political system, a unique culture, a different civilization called the church. And that this Jesus not only ruled over this people as Lord, claiming their first allegiance, but was going to come back welcomed by the church in order to establish his kingdom forever in which he would finally be recognized for who he was, just the Lord of all. Amen. Let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire in the first century, which had no Christian influence at all, and this is what you believe. Navigating that world as a follower of Jesus Christ would be a little difficult, don't you think? It might be a little different than how we live as followers of Jesus in a culture that has been historically and significantly influenced by the Christian faith. That would be a little more difficult. To start, you probably were not going to be very respected for it by just about everyone. I mean, you already would have lost the respect of the Jewish people for sure, from which faith many of the Christians came, because as far as the Jews were concerned, while they did believe in a personal God, that God was other, that God was transcendent, that God was holy. And for that reason, the Son of God, the true Messiah, would never have looked like Jesus, been of such lowly stock or been so familiar. And for sure, 
would never have been crucified because their law said that anyone who died on a tree was cursed. And that one would believe that a crucified and dead man come back to life was the Messiah, that was offensive to their understanding of the character of God. God would never have permitted himself to be so profaned as to be executed by civil authorities. And as far as the Jewish leaders were concerned, for Christians to believe what they believed showed an incredible lack of respect for the holy otherness of God. So the Jews were offended by the Christians. And if you're a follower of Jesus in the Roman Empire in the first century, you're obviously not going to get much respect from the Roman sophisticates because what you believed was so obviously absurd. The Greeks, the Romans, would be incredulous that anyone would stake their life on the claim that a person born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, executed in Jerusalem, raised to life again, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, waiting to come back to establish his earthly kingdom, and that that person was the only way, the absolute truth and the giver of life, the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one could ever come to know God apart from Jesus, that you would so believe this absurdity that you would live self-denying and self-sacrificial lives for the sake of this Messiah? No, you're not going to get much respect from your neighbors. They're going to think you're pretty odd. They're going to think you're a fool. Furthermore, your lifestyle would become so different from the lifestyle of the Romans. It wouldn't be long before they would begin excluding you. And of course, by virtue of your convictions, you would have to excuse yourself from much of what the Romans did as a matter of course. I mean, you really wouldn't fit. I mean, you didn't believe in the Roman gods, so you wouldn't go to the religious festivals in which the Roman gods were honored. For sure, you wouldn't do that. And you weren't a Stoic who believed in an impersonal God, which ethic was basically resignation. And you weren't an Epicurean or a hedonist who thought that this was all there was to life. So you wouldn't indulge yourself with entertainments which glorified violence or sexual promiscuity. You'd have to absent yourself from the plays, from the Colosseum. You wouldn't fit. You'd live differently in so many different ways. You would commit yourself to one person the, the rest of your life. And but because of your understanding of the love of God for all people, you'd start challenging the social norms of Roman culture. You would do some really odd things as far as the Romans were concerned. You'd start rescuing babies that were left alone on the side of the road, which was legal to do in that day you would start tending to the most vulnerable, the sick and the aged, the poor and the imprisoned. You would begin honoring slaves as brothers and sisters. And you would respect and honor women so much so that they would even have positions of authority in this alternative society called the church. They would be leaders in the church where they couldn't have been leaders anywhere else. And you wouldn't bow to Caesar. Your first allegiance would not be to the Roman government. 
And love for God and others would orient all your behavior so that you would never ever be vindictive or take revenge. You would orient your life around this obscure Jewish rabbi and the ethic he taught based on singular love for God and undifferentiated love for others. You would do this so well that the Jews would be offended that you would worship this Nazarene as God and the Greeks and Romans would disdain you for believing such an absurdity. So let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ in a nation that has inherited 2,000 years of Christian teaching. Let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire in the first century, which had no Christian influence at all. And you were the minority of minorities in this culture. Navigating that world would be a little more difficult, wouldn't you say? And it might be a little different than how we live as followers of Jesus. Because, as it turns out, Roman toleration didn't always extend to the followers of Jesus. Because their allegiance to Christ inevitably called into question their allegiance to the state and their allegiance to Caesar. And because of that challenge to the state's authority in certain parts of the Roman Empire, officials started demanding a pledge of allegiance to Caesar in which he was recognized as God. And those first century Christians wouldn't do that. They wouldn't sign it. The second century Christians didn't either, and neither did the third century Christians. And when you wouldn't do the simple thing of signing a piece of paper, pledging their allegiance to Caesar and the state, first of all, and you didn't even have to mean it, you could just pretend. You could just sign it. When you didn't do that, and they wouldn't, why the state would confiscate your property, they would take your livelihood, and they would even sometimes take your life. Just as Daniel was a threat to Babylon for not recognizing the authority of Babylon, for not eating and drinking like the Babylonians, for not worshiping like the Babylonians, for insisting on worshiping as a Hebrew, just as Daniel was persecuted, so those first century Christians were as well, for daring to be faithful to the Lord. So let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but not in the country in which a third of the people go to church every week in a country in which another third go to church every now and then. Not in a more or less Christianized culture. Let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire in the first century, which had no Christian influence at all and thus was antagonistic, disdainful, and sometimes even harmful to you. Well, if that is the case, if you're a Christian in the first century, then you might really appreciate receiving a letter like the one Peter wrote. Then this letter from 1 Peter would have been really, really helpful. You would have heard these words differently than perhaps the way we do. So receiving a letter from this apostle who was living in Rome, which he called Babylon, this would have given life to you when you would have rather heard Peter write, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, 
scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. You have appreciated being understood and named as an exile because that's how it would have felt. So I'm not supposed to try to make my world my home. Nope. And I've been chosen. Yep. And the Spirit is sanctifying me for obedience to Jesus Christ. Yes. And he gives me grace and peace. Yes. Well, okay then. And you might really appreciate receiving a letter like the one Peter wrote in which he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Those words would have been really helpful if you'd been a Christian in the first century in the Roman Empire. So my suffering, grief is not a waste. It's redemptive. My persecution is saving me. And my inheritance is not in question. It is still secure. And my vindication will be Jesus' return. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire in the first century, which had no Christian influence at all, and indeed was therefore antagonistic and disdainful and even harmful, then you might really appreciate receiving a letter like the one that Peter wrote, reading these words, hearing these words. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So that's the strategy. So that's how we defend ourselves, by how honorable we live. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire in the first century, which was not Christian, indeed was instead antagonistic and disdainful and sometimes harmful, then you might really appreciate receiving a letter like the one that Peter wrote, hearing these words, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, 
leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That would have been really important to hear. So we're to model our lives after Jesus. Jesus went ahead of us in this just as he trusted himself to his father, so we are too as well. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire in the first century, which had no Christian influence at all and indeed was antagonistic and disdainful and sometimes harmful, then you might really appreciate receiving a letter like the one that Peter wrote, reading these words, hearing these words, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord in your hearts and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have why you live so differently but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If you were a Christian in the first century, you would have heard those words a little differently. They're good words to those living in a culture that was antagonistic, disdainful, and sometimes even harmful. So that's how they were to be. Gentle, respectful, and doing good even if it meant suffering. Good words to those living in a culture that was antagonistic, disdainful, and sometimes even harmful. Have I spoken the word this morning? If I have, would you say amen? You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnais, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.